Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am Rob Clark, your host, and with me as always, the president, founder, the the genius behind the International Office Moving Institute. Uh, you can get in-person training. You can also get online training. The one and only, the magnificent Ed Katz here as always. How you doing, Ed? I'm doing great. Thanks for that commercial, that wonderful introduction. I'm on a fixed income, everybody. Please enroll in my online training if you want to feel sorry for me. I'm a victim. <laughs> a victim. Yeah, you sure are. But there is a benefit to the investment in Naomi. So I'll just throw that out there. You're not just doing it to support the old guy. You're actually uh, you're actually going to get something out of it. So thank you. Like you that. Thank you, Rob. Can I can I introduce what our topic is? I today? think you should. Yeah, this was your idea, and I think it was a great idea. Well, maybe we shouldn't tell them what the topic is because we may lose all our listeners. It's like something that movers rarely focus on: insurance. Yeah, and I and I think you know when they hear that, they may go, you know, we all talk about insurance, Ed. You know, we we all have a rate that we sell to our clients. We're not talking about that insurance. What you might offer to your clients to protect what you know services you're providing this is uh you go ahead what 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 type of insurance are we talking about we're talking about what you have to pay for when you own a moving company workers comp premiums cargo premiums and auto or your truck liability insurance that's what we're talking about i hope everybody's turning us off where are they running no 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 i think this is a a topic that a lot of people are going to be interested in uh especially those folks who are you know uh, GMs or above at, at moving companies. This is a great topic and, and, and a good discussion to have. So let me ask you this, Ed. Uh, are you telling me that we, we know that in the moving industry, we're, we're all about trying to make money. But the flip of that is, the other side of the coin, is part of being profitable and successful is controlling costs. And you're telling me that the self-proclaimed, self-ordained minister of office moving did you not focus on this? You know, this is the first time we've had this conversation. Back with Peachtree, is this not something that you really looked at and focused on? Well, thank God we had an office manager who dealt with the insurance agent or agents or insurance company because I'd like to be a salesperson. I'd like to have interpersonal relationships with prospects and clients. The last thing on my to-do list would be talking to insurance providers. I mean, that is what it is. And I have to confess, every year, what I would do is I'd have my office manager solicit bids from the insurance companies. And then she would come into my office after she did all her due diligence. And I'd ask her, well, what do you think? She said, well, this was a typical answer. Uh, we got five bids or three bids, whatever. And even though this company is more expensive, I feel that I would be more comfortable working with this company, the higher price one than the other ones. So uh, my recommendation is this company. And I would say, great, go with it. I could care less. I mean, there's nothing more boring to me than talking about insurance. However, Wait, 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 wait. You, you say that. Nothing more boring, but yet we're going to have this conversation today, Ed. I know. And you feel I like know. it's necessary. Yes, because I 
learned a long time ago, even while I had Peachtree Movers, that two ways of making a profit, increase your revenue and lower or control your costs of doing business. And I have found ways of lowering your costs of insurance, which I would like to share with our listeners today. Awesome. So what have you learned to, to lower your insurance costs? <laughs> Thanks a lot. With <laughs> some interesting nuances in the moving industry. We know when we buy life insurance or uh, home insurance for our residents, there's so many choices out there. Did you know, Rob, there are probably only three or four carriers, insurance companies that will even write a policy for the moving industry, that's not a big supply. That doesn't sound like a lot of competition, does it? No. So that's that's really the case? There's only three or four? Right. And I also found that over the years, in my opinion, it's better to deal through a broker who represents the three or four versus trying to go directly to an insurance company. So in other words, try to find a broker who really works for the end user, the customer, the moving company, and not go directly to the insurance company because their representatives work for the insurance company. So that's what I learned over the years. And you would say, well, that makes common sense. Well, not really. At the time when I sold my moving company, we had our insurance with Liberty Mutual. They had no agents. They sold insurance directly to end users like myself. And I think if you think back, so many insurance companies wait until three or four days before your policy expires. And but then they say, here's the premium for the next year. They're putting the pressure on you. Put the pressure on. I mean, why do they wait till the last moment? I think they do it on purpose. I don't mean to be cynical, but I think they do it on purpose to really reduce your chances of going to another insurance company or carrier. But so, I do want to ask you this, Ed, when you talk about the broker, you're saying you, you go through one broker who would then negotiate, deal with the three or four different insurance providers within the, the moving community. Right. In other words, theoretically, the insurance broker, if he represents all three or four insurance carriers, if he can do business you know, with all four of them, he could behind the scenes say to the insurance carriers, look, we're going to we're going to auction my client, the moving company off to the best service provider who gives us the best service and who gives us the best premium rate. So that, that I like that idea. Yeah. I like that concept. And, and it takes it out of, you know, it's one less thing you have to deal with. It takes it off your plate and you still feel like you're getting a, a quality right. return on, on what's yes. being, uh, produced yep. for you and you're not yep. trusting your office manager who may not know the little loopholes in insurance to, to negotiate the best deal. And, and here's what I found out over the years, a good broker will educate the moving company client, how to keep the rates low. That's what this is all about. They're going to go up every year because of inflation and whatever else is involved. Wait, wait. So a broker will tell you kind of the key indicators of what insurance companies are looking for and covering you that keep those. What are some, you have some examples? I do. For example, if you have a claim, a good insurance broker is going to 
tell you, all right, what are you going to do to prevent that same type of claim from happening again? What are you going to do? And that's, maybe I can give you an example. Do you remember in previous podcasts we talked about uh, my client who takes my online office movement training up in Elmira, New York, yes. uh, negatively moving in storage? Um, let's say they had a claim of water damage in their warehouse. And I'm making all of this up. I'm just giving you a theoretical. Uh, the roof leaked and uh, rained and water came in through the roof and the items of, that were stored on the top rack of their open rack storage got wet. So a good broker would say to Bo Roscoe, who owns the company, okay, what are you going to do to prevent that same claim from happening again? How are you going to prevent that claim from happening? And Bo Roscoe would say, because we got this information from him, remember on our earlier well, podcast? He would say, well, we draped six or eight mil thick Visqueen, that's plastic you can buy in rolls, over the top of our open racked storage in our warehouse over just the, the top rack. And we drape it like an umbrella and we keep it up there permanently. So if we have a roof leak, instead of the water coming through the roof and leaking onto the furniture below, it's going to go and hit this umbrella, this cover of this queen, this plastic, and then run down onto the floor, bypassing the furniture that's being stored um, on the racks. So that's, that's, a good example. So a good broker is going to communicate that to the underwriter who works for the insurance company where they have their policy. And he's going to say, Hey, we have this claim, whatever it is, but uh, we're going to mitigate the and lessen the risk of having the claim in the future, because this is the proactive uh, solution or prevention that our client in this example, negatively moving storage out of Elmira, New York is going to do, to minimize this risk of having it happen again. There you go, right there. Okay, are, are there, I mean, other things that you look for from a broker that he's going to advise you or help you kind of learn and understand so that, you you know, you like we talked about, you get the best premium with the best coverage with the ease of, you know, settling things if you needed to. Yes, I think um, if you have a claim because of faulty equipment, let's say that a caster broke on a, library cart and cart fell over and hit the wall or a uh, desk fell off a, a high rise dolly because the caster buckled and broke and hit a wall or hit other furniture or injured somebody. Again, if the moving company has a process and procedure to prevent that kind of claim from happening in the future, then that too should be communicated by the broker to the underwriter of the insurance company that writes the policy. I, I can give you an example when I had Peachtree Movers. We would have uh, situations where we're doing a large move or a small move, and when the large executive desk with the overhanging top is on the four-wheel dolly, we're pushing it down the hall, and that's when we found out one of the forecasters was in disrepair. Not only did it make a lot of noise, it wasn't round, okay? I'm thinking it's happened to all of us. Well, instead of undoing the desk and just and just throwing that four-wheel dolly to the side to use another one, because what will happen if that's what happens, that 
dolly will be still mixed in with all the other dollies and then be recycled and gone out on future jobs and cause the same issue and same problem sure. in the future. What we did was we had a standard operating procedure when we had a caster that we identified that needed to be replaced. We would take our packing tape that we had with us out on the job and really wrap it around that caster, that part of the four-wheel dolly, so that when something like that came back into the warehouse, our warehouse manager would see it and throw it into the repair pile, and it never went back out again until that caster was replaced or repaired, probably replaced, right? And so that... And on the job site, the, the crew would know, don't grab that dolly. It's out of service. Right. Exactly right. Same thing with our trucks. We could have used Billy Bob up the street and saved a lot of money on the cost of having our trucks serviced and, re and repaired. But instead, we went to certified mechanics that, in our case, across the street from us was a huge UPS truck rental facility. And they had a lot of trucks that they leased to clients and they service what they lease. And we had an arrangement with them. They did all of our preventative maintenance and all of our repair on our 11 straight trucks that we own. And believe me when I tell you, they did it right. I think they did it better than a dealer did that, you know, they were used to having, we had DT, we had international trucks, DT 466 uh, model international harvester trucks. And they serviced us. They say, Mr. Katz, we think it's time to replace this. Or, And then they kept records for us. So if we had, we didn't ever, thank God. But let's say we had brakes that failed and we had an accident. We could go back to UPS and say, show us when's the last time this was worked on? What prevented the maintenance did you do? We had wonderful records. These types of, of records and preventative maintenance were communicated by the broker to the underwriter with the insurance company, again, to hold our our uh, claims down and to have a better relationship with the insurance company and to hold our premiums down. Ed, can I, can I throw you a curveball that just came to my mind? Oh, no. Okay. So in <laughs> IOMI, we, we are taught, and, and it is preferred uh, per IOMI to have your own employees. And when we start talking about, you know, I can see, I think it's a great point, how important maintaining your equipment all is and how that can help in reducing the risk of, uh, you know, things happening to either, you know, things you're moving or to people, uh, how important that is, trucks, equipment, all of that. How, how, do you, how do you address that if you're using contractors? How does that, where does that play? I mean, if, because you might say, well, they have their own insurance. We make sure they do. But from a reputation standpoint in a market, if you have things happen, it still ultimately comes back to your company for using that contractor who had a failure on the job. Well, I hate to say this to the moving company that hires a subcontractor to render the service, but if the contractor doesn't, let's say, for example, maintain his trucks and there's a major accident because of that, guess who is contingently liable for that accident? Let's say that um, there's a lawsuit and there's a two or three million dollar judgment against that subcontractor because he was uh, negligent in having his trucks uh, serviced properly by bona fide certified mechanics. And he has a uh, million dollar umbrella. 
and there's a judgment against him for $2 million. Now, I don't, I'm not an attorney, and I don't know anything about insurance, but I can tell you this. The moving company, in my opinion, is the general contractor. I don't think they can get away with saying uh, before a jury of their peers that, oh, that wasn't our company, that was another company, because <laughs> they, I believe, would be contingently liable for the difference between the um, moving company and the subcontractor. There's a, there's a relationship, right? Yeah. So I think they're going to be contingently liable. So I think as a general contractor, in that sense, they need to go behind and make sure that their subcontractor does maintain their trucks properly, does uh, have everything that they're supposed to be doing and have good records. And the same thing with the equipment they send out, out, out on the job. It better be maintained properly or they could be, again, sucked into a lawsuit. Yeah, that was kind of my reason for bringing it up, that there's some some onus there on the moving company hiring contractors, if you're not going to have employees, to make sure that they are servicing your jobs with the proper equipment, doing the things that we would do with our own equipment, we're going to hold them to the same standard. I mean, it could be, again, let's say that's a blended uh, labor situation where the subcontractor uh, provides 70% of the labor and the moving company that hires them to do their moves provides 30%. Well, let's say that the contractor has uh, equipment where the lift gates don't work properly. And one of the hourly employees who works for the moving company uh, gets his hand caught between the lift gate and the rear of the truck and causes, you know, major injury. Um, and we, it turns out that the subcontractor has not maintained that lift gate the way it should have been maintained. Do you see where Oh yeah. this, this is more than just a worker's comp claim. This could be malfeasance, which opens up a whole nother. That's why I wanted area. to bring it up. It's, it's things that we need to think about, you know, kind of yeah. what, how those dominoes fall. Right. So hopefully the moving companies go behind their subcontractors and make sure that they maintain their trucks and their rolling stock, their, their moving equipment for the, the reasons we're talking about right now. Well, you know, talking about that, it kind of leads me into this question. Um, when we think about insurance companies and, they, and they're looking at you and trying to determine risk and, and what your premiums are going to be based on, because it all comes down to risk, right? What, what's the risk that I'm going to have with insuring this company? How important to them is it that you either have something in place or not that you, that you should have, that you do have training in place, some type of training, whether it be done internally, you know, with, you know, people within the organization doing the continuous training or hiring a outside firm to come in and do some type of, you know, continuous safety type training. It's very, very important. And, you know, the moving industry lie, relies, we know, a lot on OJT, on the job training. So when I owned my moving company, all of our employees were hourly labor. We had training at least twice a month in our warehouse where we had a training area set up with ramps and uh, a platform that looked like a dock. And we would take our new employees and teach them how to dolly up furniture and push it up the ramp and down the ramp and all the things they needed to know to minimize the risk of injury. And unfortunately, as I said just a minute ago, most moving companies don't have that type of training. They 
I say when they say OJT on the job training, in my opinion, their employees are learning how to do the job at the customer's expense. And it's been my experience in life that if a supervisor has to teach and train an employee that this is a four wheel dolly and that's a two wheel hand truck or that's a high rise dolly and that's a panel truck or a panel cart. If they have to spend that type of babysitting and hand holding on the job, then they can't run the job. They can either be teachers and trainers or they can be supervisors. They can't run the job and do they can't do both. And so they they really need to have training in the warehouse. And as I said, we'd have ours at least twice a month. We'd have a supervisor who had a lot of patients come in and for an hour, hour and a half with six, eight, ten newbies that we hired uh, go through this training. And we also had uh, another situation where any supervisor who was running a job, if we had uh, an employee, a mover helper who had been with us for years, but stopped following our standard procedures for doing it, you know, the right way. And the supervisor would correct them. And the employee still didn't listen to the supervisor, didn't follow the directions and didn't do it the right way. That supervisor had the right to say, okay, so-and-so needs to go back into the basic entry-level training on the next training class. Let me tell you how effective that was. That was great because now we take somebody who may have been with us two or three years who whatever reason started become a, becoming a slacker, didn't want to follow our standard procedures to minimize the risk of injury and damage. And now he's put back into a training class with all the newbies who are in the class. You know how embarrassing, humiliating that was. But if they wanted to continue working at our company, they couldn't go out on a job unless they went through that again. They usually only had to go through that humiliating experience one time. And then after that, they realized, hmm, if I don't listen to the supervisor, I'm going to end up back in that remedial <laughs> yeah. class again. And I don't want to do that. It's too embarrassing, humiliating, and I don't like it. So it, it worked. It was a really good you know, way of doing it. That, that makes perfect sense. Um, let me ask you this. When I, when I think about as an individual and, and you buy insurance, you know, you have to have if you're driving an automobile. Right. And let's say you get a couple of uh, traffic tickets or you get in an accident. And ultimately, people will go, well, I'm, I'm going to just shop around and see if I can get the best deal. And, you know, in that world, uh, it's kind of on your record. Insurance companies can see how you've been driving and then they can gauge for themselves in the moving industry. You know, when we talk about there's only three or four insurance providers, can you shop around or is there a way for them to know kind of how your performance has been? I, I guess what you're saying is if I have a bad, if I own a moving company and I have a lot of claims and my present insurance company says they're going to raise my premium and increase my deductible. Yes. Maybe I'm going to be smarter than that insurance company and not even solicit a bid from them next year. I'm going to just shop around and find another insurance company. To yeah, you're going to have your new insurance provider right. ready to and go on when know. that other one ends. Yep. Guess what? There's a dirty little secret that most moving companies don't know. And here's the secret. Okay. Those three or four insurance companies share claims, 
information and records with one another, and that's legal. So before um, they write the policy, the underwriter is going to call his buddies or counterparts at the other two or three or four um, insurance companies and say, have you heard of this company? Do you know anything about them? What's their record? And that information is then communicated to the insurance company that's going to offer, you know, a bid on their insurance, which is going to reflect their claims history. And that's why it's important for insurance companies and their clients, moving companies. That's why it's important for the moving companies to do everything they can to hold the claims down. Just hold them down. Uh, can I tell you about what, what they do in New York? This is very interesting. Yeah. What do they do? This is what happens when the government gets involved to help their clients, I guess the moving companies. It's funny. And there are unintended consequences. So New York State being what it is, they mandated that any insurance company that writes workers' comp insurance in the state of New York can only raise the premium by a fraction of an amount each year. So, oh boy, movers are going to love that, right? Because then they're not going to have these higher costs. They're, they're protected in New York. They're protected, you would think. But guess how the insurance companies have very successfully wiggled around that stupid government rule. I mean, we should be accountable and responsible. If we have a lot of claims, we should be managing the process and minimizing that risk. But no, the government says, we're going to protect you. Don't worry, we're not going to let the rates go up that high. So the insurance companies that write movers insurance in the state of New York, they say to their prospective moving company clients, if you want us to give you a bid on your insurance, we're not going to bid just the workers' comp insurance. We're going to also bid on your auto, your trucks, and cargo insurance. And we will give you one price for the whole. Otherwise, if you think you want to buy just one, just the workers' comp from us or one of the we're not interested. It's a package deal. deal. It's a package yeah. deal. No what do you think the package deal? What do you think the package deal reflects? Well, I'm sure that auto them. rate is going to go up. Yes, they're going to bump the auto and the cargo up to offset what they're going to lose on the workers' comp, and you would too. It's called capitalism. They're in business to make a profit. <laughs> and I, you know, and I, I'm actually fine with that. I don't, I don't have of a problem course. with them doing that. They should do that because the risk is there. Um, I agree. So let me ask you this. Let's finish up the podcast. What are, you know, if we were going to give some bullet points to our listeners on ways to control this cost with insurance, go through those again. One, starting with the broker and going, kind of going through and hitting all, the, well, all those. I believe 100% go through a broker, but go through a broker that specializes in moving companies. We're not trucking companies. They're, the, the difference between night and day, we are moving companies. And the big major difference between a trucking company and movers, we go inside the shipper's home or office. We are interacting with people. We don't back up to a loading dock and have somebody unload it for us. See the difference? So you want a broker that really specializes in... And that uh, point means there's a lot more risk with us. So know that going a in. A lot more risk, and we have very unique idiosyncrasies, sure. nuances in our industry that's... 
you know, and I don't mind giving a, a commercial for somebody I'm familiar with. Champion Risk out of California is a is a typical broker that specializes in moving company insurance. And I heard about them, found out about them uh, this last year. But everything I've learned about them, they really are an advocate for the moving company client that they have. And they really communicate effectively. Here's what they communicate. In fact, that's where I got a lot of this information for the podcast today. But if there's a claim, they communicate to the underwriter what the moving company is going to do to try to prevent the same type of claim from happening again. Remember our example with uh, Negley moving a storage in Elmira, New York, and a roof leak. And when their equipment is being maintained properly, and I told you the example of our wrapping tape around the four-wheel dolly or having our trucks not worked on by the cheapest, you know, backyard mechanic, but by real certified mechanics that know what they're doing and fixing and repairing and preventing trucks from, you know, having accidents, good, good records. That's communicated by the broker to the underwriter. And with training, it's interesting. I wish I could tell you that insurance, I mean, I do know this for a fact, insurance companies that write movers insurance love the training that we offer through the International Office Moving Institute because it, it, it's all about safety. But they don't mandate that moving companies have to take our training and they don't mandate that you have to be a certified office mover for them to bid on your, on your policy. But they do love training and they want to know that it's not just OJT, it's not just on the job training. They wanna know what is your training process at your moving company so that you send people out that know what they're doing and what they anticipate and how to minimize the risk of injury and damage. So they, that would be communicated by the, a good broker like champion risk um, to so, the, um, to the underwriters. So, so you're telling me, it sounds like, and you tell me if I'm reading this wrong, but if you have, a good record in an insurance company, a broker just submits that record and you get rates. They could be good rates, but if you have a good record and the broker is an advocate for you and not only submits your good record, but also outlines all the things you're doing for maintenance of equipment, training of people, things like that, that could even then give you even a better rate. Yes. Okay. And help hold your rates down when the industry raises rates. So I think yes. some people might be going, well, if I don't have any issues, the, 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 the insurance company can see that. They're just going to give me the same rate. Not necessarily. If they right. know that you're doing things to prevent accidents and things from happening, that could get you even a better rate. We're all familiar with that uh, term called the, or I guess it's a term called the law of averages. You know, let's say I haven't filed a major claim in four or five years. The law of averages now are against me. Why? Because let's say most moving companies have a claim, a major one every two years, and I haven't had one in five years. Well, based on the law of averages, I'm due for a big claim. And just because you haven't filed a claim in four or five years, that doesn't mean you're going to get a good rate. But if you're broker communicates effectively with the underwriter and says, hey, forget about the law of large numbers, the law of averages. Here's why we have not had claims in five years. And then talks about the bullet points we covered in this podcast 
you see why that's more important than just having a good record. You make me ask a question. How far back do insurance companies look to see if you've had some issues, some, some accidents? It's probably different for each insurance okay. company. But if the, if the information is readily available, why wouldn't they go back as many years as they could? Great Think point. Yeah. Right? Why not? Yeah, that's a great point. So, I, I, Ed, another fun conversation with you. Uh, okay. You know, wake up, everybody. Wake up. No, no, no. I think we, we, we hit on some things that people will find uh, interesting and, and maybe cause them to, uh, you know, go back and kind of look how they're buying insurance for their, their companies and, and uh, making sure they're doing the things to – because you're right. You know, part of – being profitable is not only, you know, the delivering a great service and, and making a fair margin on that, but it's also controlling those costs. And, and insurance, we know, is a huge cost to, uh, to moving companies. Can I give a postscript, a PS? Sure. I just thought of something. When I license a new client to use our online training, I include in that license to that moving company client of ours, for them to have access to all their employees, ready for this, including their subcontractors. And what that means is I want everybody to be singing out of the same hymn book. So if they use a contractor that works for them and other moving companies too, uh, they're still licensed and permitted under our online training to run the key people from that contractor through the same training that they're taking so that the service that's rendered reflects what they say in the sales presentation. So how do you like that? I think I, that's my, great. my goal is for everybody to be safe. I don't want anybody getting hurt. I don't want the client's employees getting hurt. I don't want the movers employees getting hurt. I want to minimize the risk of damage to what they're moving, the furniture and the electronics. I want to minimize the risk of damage to the buildings they're moving from and to. And last but not least, they want, I want them to please the customer. And if, if only the employees of the moving company take the training, but they outsource it to a contractor who has not been trained, uh, I don't think that the service that's rendered is going to reflect what was promised in the sales presentation. That's a great point, Ed. I think that's, that's a great point and a reminder to the people who might consider IOMI and go, well, we use contractors. You don't have to worry about that. They can also get the same training. Same training. Is, yep, yes. I think that's great. Well, another fun conversation, as always, Mr. Katz. Just a big well of knowledge, and you always share it. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Commercial relocation happy hour and until our next episode go sell another move